Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And you guys, I cannot tell you how excited I am about this conversation. Lita Judge is an author. She is a world famous author and illustrator of children's books. And Lita is one of my very oldest friends dating back to my speech and debate days in high school. And we reconnected on the internet and I've been following her books and I love them and we will make sure that you guys can love them too. But today we are going to talk about Lita's newest book, you guys. Hello. (laughs) Yeah, baby. So Lita has drawn and written the most beautiful, elegant book for children about our dogs, the history of our dogs, some of the things that they do for us. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion loves helping pets get the care they need. That's why they're excited to announce that they've officially paid out over $2 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in veterinary claims. That's two billion reasons for more tail wags and treats. That's 730,000 pets that got the care they needed. Trepanion would like to thank all of the owners and breeders who've trusted them over the last 22 years. If you're part of the Trepanion Breeder Support Program, don't forget to register your upcoming litters for their go-home day offers. That way you can send them home protected by Trepanion's world-class coverage. If you're not part of the program yet, It's completely free to join and lets you send your litters home with an offer for a full Trupanion insurance policy that waives the waiting periods. To learn more and to sign up, just visit my partner page at puredogtalk.com. So Lita, welcome. I'm so excited to have you join us. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and to reconnect with you. This is just absolutely wonderful. It's perfection. It is perfection. So, okay. In our world here at Pure Dog Talk, we have what we call the 411. So give us a very brief background about your history with dogs and how you came to write this book. And we're going to delve into a few other things a little bit later. So let's start with this. Wonderful. So I was born into a family of dogs. I think we had three very large dogs when I was born, a Malamute and two Chesapeake's. Yeah. And then my favorite of the Chesapeake's was a dog named Kier. And my family, we lived in some really, really remote areas out in the woods because my dad was a soil scientist and we moved a lot. And a lot of the time we were far from town. And my mom would sometimes have to leave us in the woods to go to town to get supplies And she always trusted that we were safe because Kier would guard us like a mama bear. I mean, he was just like my protector. And my mom always told me that the first word I learned wasn't ma or pa or dada or anything like that. It was sit. And I told Kier to sit for about six months. He patiently sat. And then he decided he didn't need to listen to me anymore. But you could actually make him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He was a patient soul that put up with me. 
and protected me and my companion. And my family, we lived in a trailer sometimes. Sometimes we lived in a car. We had a house that was destroyed by a hurricane. And so we were kind of on the road for some of that time. And my parents slept on a platform in the van and my sister sat in the middle seat and I slept on the iron floor of the van. So it was pretty cold, but I had Kier and he was the love of my life when I was four. So I had always had dogs until I honestly became a children's book illustrator. And the reality of a children's book illustrator is you spend a lot of time on the road. And I do have pets but dogs, they just pet need. mouse I have ever seen, and I am not a mouse person. And I'm just saying, <laughs> Pantaliman is pretty special. <laughs> he's usually in my sleeve. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. he's adorable. So, so what? But I don't have dogs I mean, now. You've done some amazing, amazing books. Some of your books, the dinosaur books, and the oh, the story of Mary Frankenstein's. Oh yes, Mary's monster. Yes. Oh my gosh, is incredible. What brought you? and said, I have to do a book about the history of dogs. You know, what's more surprising is that I didn't write it sooner, I think. Okay, All here right. you can see. I'm not Here's a one of your dog lover. I also have kitties. <laughs> All good. I have three of them. Yeah, why didn't I write this sooner is more of the question. I think that one of the reasons I have so many interests, you know, I come from a background where I studied geology. I worked on dinosaur digs, so therefore I've written dinosaur books. I was raised with ornithologists, my grandparents. So I've done a lot of books about animal behavior and nature. And I wrote a book called The Wisdom of Trees, which is about yes. how trees communicate and work together. And so I think I have like all these eclectic interests. I also love to travel to Europe and I love to create fantasy. So I do a lot of fictional stories that are young and whimsical for kids. And I remember it was actually the second day of lockdown. I was supposed to be on book tour for about three months and I got nine days in and then, you know, got chewed home quickly right. from San Antonio, Texas. And I thought, what am I going to do now? And it was the second day and I thought, oh, I'm going to do that dog book. And I think the reason I hadn't written it sooner was because it was just a massive amount of research. It covers 40,000 years of the history of dogs. And there's so much information about how did we domesticate them? Did they self-domesticate? you know, stacks of books to read. And I felt like I had the quiet space to just really dive into this because I knew that this project was going to be a total labor of love. It's my second longest book that I've done. And I just wanted to do it well when I was going to do it. You know, I right. got to research medieval times and prehistoric times and what was our relationship to dogs in first century China and how did dogs serve in war and what do therapy dogs do? And, you know, all this vast amount of information, I knew I just really needed a nice chunk of time to devote to it. So That's the time perfect. was right. It's perfect. And now for my listeners, this is not exclusively purebred. There is a doodle mentioned, but, <laughs> but there are beautiful drawings of many of our purebred dogs. So talk to us a little bit through that, because this is very, as I call it, John Q. Public focused, right? Yeah, I really wanted to cover as much as I could about dogs in all its forms. And I, to be honest, there was a lot of pressure, like which dogs do I cover? Because as a writer, I have a lot of readers who are passionate about their dogs. And my pets are always muses in my books. Everybody knows my pet mouse, Pan, and a lot of people know my pet parrot, Beatrix. And they know Willow, who just walked by, because they all have their own stories. And I knew if I was working on a dog book and I post regularly on Instagram and Facebook and places, I knew everybody would say, use my dog, use my dog. 
<laughs> and I had so many volunteers for muses. And it was like, which dogs do I include? And I tried to include as many as I could. Every dog that appears in this book is actually, there's a page if I can find it. is amazing. Yes. Yeah. And every dog that appears in this page and yes. throughout many of the illustrations are dogs of friends who got to pose for the book. And I feel so bad now because there's friends locally. It was like, you didn't use my dog. You didn't use my dog. I'm just saying. (laughs) I did my best. (laughs) And I really wanted to choose not only some popular ones, but also some that we haven't heard of. And also I wanted to celebrate a wide range of different dogs because they all provide different places in our hearts. And some of them work and some of them are adorable lap dogs. And some of them have temperaments that make them perfect for therapy dogs. And so I just wanted to celebrate as many dogs as I could. I love it. What was your favorite dog to draw? My favorite, you know, the guy in the cover. (laughs) He's so cute. (laughs) And you know, when I did this, covers are amazing because I think of myself as a person who really focuses on expressions and gestures with all of my work, whether it's fiction or historical. And so working with dogs is perfect for me because they more than any other creature other than humans have so much expression in their faces. I mean, it's truly remarkable. And there would be times I would just be chills as I drew a dog because you see all this love just being completely directed at you. And I probably drew this guy 30 times because sometimes he was too serious and sometimes he was too goofy and sometimes he was sad looking and, you know, whatever mood I was feeling. And my editor kept saying, he's not quite there. He's almost there (laughs) because we just wanted to get that expression of when you come home and you see your dog and he's looking at you like, where have you been? (laughs) Why weren't you with me? (laughs) Right, right, always, every time. And so what was your favorite thing that you learned in your research? I mean, you spent a couple of years on this. Oh, my gosh. Oh, there's so much. My favorite thing. Well, the thing I was the most curious about was how did we get from wolf to dog? Right. And that was just so mind blowing. Like, how does that transition happen? And it was so interesting because I had to talk to different scientists and you know, I used to be a geologist and I worked on dinosaur digs. So I knew this. You go to a conference and people like have these head-to-head Everybody has an it was like this. It was like this. And it's true with dogs. Did we domesticate them? Did they self-domesticate? The consensus seems to be more and more they self-domesticated and that they had the social skills because they work as pack animals and they understand working together that they were able to make that leap in working with us. So I think that was the thing. I was really fascinated. The other thing I was blown away with is that dogs were prescribed as treatment as early as the middle ages. If you had a stomach ache, hold a dog. And we didn't understand why, you know, now we know it lowers your cortisone, it lowers your blood pressure, it releases Mm -hmm. oxytocin. I mean, we know why now, but we didn't understand that why then. And yet we knew it worked. You know, we knew that that relationship with our dogs was that incredible, that it's actually healing and luckily healing for the dog as well. We have found Yes. And I think possibly one of the most interesting podcast interviews I have done was the fellow who runs something called the Human Animal Bond Research Institute and actually studies that. Exactly. Oh, cool. And Very it cool. was just fascinating talking to him and some of their, I'll link it, you guys, if you haven't listened to it, you really need to go back because it was really amazing. So here's where we're going to transition just a little bit. 
(laughs) (laughs) So you've written this amazing book. You've written a bunch of amazing books. But I knew you when we were, what, 15, 14, 15? (laughs) And we were in the speech and debate program at Roseburg High School in Roseburg, Oregon. And we had our beloved Dr. Sturz, our teacher. And when I knew Lita back then, she was the single most shy human being I have ever met in my entire life. (laughs) And I think we became friends because I was so the opposite. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And Lita was, and I know she's going to blush at this, but Lita was so shy. She could not go ask for a packet of ketchup at McDonald's. This is not a joke. This is why she had me as a friend. So I would go get her ketchup for her French fries. Right. (laughs) And so I see this transformation to this amazing, self-contained, composed woman who is a world famous author and illustrator and all of those things, giving huge presentations to huge audiences. And I see the connection for listeners who I just was reading somebody asking, how do I not be worried about the judge being mean to me? How do I concentrate on my dog? How do I, you know, this stage fright thing that you and I encountered a very long time ago that many people are just encountering today. So I would love if you, my friend, would share some of the things that worked for you Well, you know, I'm so glad we're talking about this because, you know, it's something that I think is almost universal stage fright. And the thing I've learned about is how, even despite the fact that it's universal, is how much of it is, I don't want to sound callous, but unnecessary. We put it on ourselves and it's not others. It's we putting them on ourselves. And yes, when we met, I was so pathologically shy. And I think I just absolutely admired your courage. And, you know, the reason we met was I took that class because growing up in such remote areas, I hadn't had the social opportunities that some younger kids had. And so, you know, I was just ossified into this shy way of being and I wanted to break out of that. And so I took the speech class to force myself on stage. And I think I learned a ton in that class, but I've been so fortunate as an author because Being a children's book author is just such a wonderful way to get in front of an audience because you are in front of the most likable, loving audience on the planet. I mean, you're in front of 400 kindergartners and they think you hang the sun, you know? I remember the first day I got asked to speak. I had no idea you had to do public speaking as an author. I took the class because I thought I was going to be a scientist. And I knew that as a scientist, I was going to need to get up and debate something. And I I, took the class. You were going to be a paleontologist. I remember it so well. You were absolutely dead set. Absolutely. And, you know, I did that for a couple of years and it was amazing. And then I realized, you know, what I really wanted to do was draw dinosaurs for a living. So I wrote children's <laughs> books about dinosaurs instead and found my true passion. But it was so great as a children's book author because I remember when somebody said, are you ready for school visits? And I thought, school visits? I thought I got to stay home and draw and write by myself. What's this going on tour and speaking to tens of thousands of kids every year? And what I learned No matter how terrified you are, the audience is there for an experience. And it's on you to create that experience for them. And if you do that, 
they just love you. And I think it's so true, I would assume, with what you do as well. Anybody who's in that audience is a passionate, loving, kind, empathetic audience because you share this bond, this love affair with canines. And whenever you step up in front of an audience where you have this shared passion, I just remind myself, it's just going to be a love fest. I mean, you don't need to have the nerves. I still, to this day, have nerves every time I step up. And then I have this immense elation and joy. And I'm so thankful because I find I went from an incredibly shy person to somebody who just loves people and feels so grateful for all the connections. And it's because we have this unique experience to talk about things or, in your case, perform and show, show you know, trying to show yeah. a dog to its best. And I think... If you can just take a deep breath and remind yourself that everybody there is for the same reason, that they love this so much, you can kind of turn that on its head and realize this is like a celebration. It's a time of how often do we humans get to connect that incredibly strongly with other humans, basically because you've all decided to walk into that room and share that experience together. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew, I hear from folks pretty much daily asking for a specific topic or for a series of podcasts on a topic. So ask and you shall receive. <laughs> I've done all the hard work. I've sorted, searched, and compiled eight different albums from the archives on our most popular topics. And when I say there's a podcast for that, I ain't just a woofin. Getting yours today is super simple. Just jump on puredogtalk.com backslash store and click the PDT albums image. And when you're in there, you're going to find a collection of veterinary voices. You're going to find a collection for breeding and whelping hands-on. You'll find Pure Dog Talk University on dog breeding love the breeds, up your game, owner handlers, the interviews, events and sports. There is so much there. And once you're in those links, you'll be able to read the details of the topic. For a special introductory price of a buck 99, you get a link to dozens, up to more than a hundred episodes on these specific topics. And while you're there, if you or a friend or family member are just getting started, even just starting a search for your first well-bred purebred dog, you can also check out Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs at puredogtalk.com backslash book to get the foundational Pure Dog Talk episodes with bonus tracks. So hop on it, y'all. These special prices will not last. You know, unfortunately, dog shows are not filled with kindergartners because it would be so much better <laughs> if they had learned the, you know, share and be nice and don't say mean words. And, you know, it's not always the safest audience, frankly. Well, kindergartners can be, let's face it, very frank. <laughs> I think the thing that I take away from you is your joy. And I think when we find joy in what we do, whether we're winning or losing or succeeding or failing or whatever, we are finding joy in what we do. That joy is contagious. It is contagious yes. to your dog. It is contagious to the judge. 
it is contagious to competitors. Joy by itself is contagious. Yeah, it really is. And you said it exactly. Just this is why I miss you. Before you even started saying it, I was like, Andy, that joy thing. And you know, when you sit there with a dog, my gosh, I mean, these creatures are devoted to us and they want so badly for us to love and accept them. I've spoken with my parents, my kitty, she's right off camera, but she's right here. You know, they've had to do book signings with me and it's not necessarily their favorite thing to do. But it's like your responsibility also when you have an animal at your side to make them feel comfortable too. And sometimes if I just focus on that or to make the kindergartners feel comfortable or a room full of teachers. And I find if I'm focusing on trying to make others feel comfortable, they just turn right around and make you feel comfortable too. (laughs) It's a gift. (laughs) I think right there, that one is so amazing. Get outside of your own head. Yes. If you can absolutely focus outside of yourself, don't think about me. Am I blushing? Is my hair wrong? Did I walk in toilet paper? Whatever. That's not what we're concentrated on. We're concentrated. Is my dog concentrating on me? Is the judge looking at me? And so those things I think are so critical to success. I mean, God knows all the years I did this, I showed dogs professionally for 25 years. Yeah. Pretty high levels. And there's still that first walk in the ring gulp. And then you settle. Yeah. You know, another thing I learned too, a lot of times I'm giving a speech to adults who want to be writers. And it's like you said, you know, you're worried about your hair. You're worried about, is your outfit right? And it's so, so silly that we do this because nobody is thinking about that. They're worried about, did I leave the stove on? Is my husband going to find the dinner I left in the fridge for him? I mean, I'm tired and the drive was long. And I mean, everybody has their stuff. They just bring their stuff. But one thing I've learned is that we're all seeking passion in our lives. We're all seeking inspiration. We're all seeking validation. And if you put that out there, you get it back in spades tenfold. And, you know, it's just such a beautiful exchange of gifts. And if we can focus on that rather than our hair or this, people are so kind when we give them opportunities to be kind. You know, if we give, they give right back. And I think if we focus on that, it makes stepping up. You're still nervous but you're also kind of giddy with excitement because it's just such a gift to be well, and able I'm to share. With my best dog. I have a young dog here at the house right now. I retired five years ago from handling and I really, I'd kind of burned out. You know how that goes, a little burnout. Yeah. And I've been really focused on other stuff and I just really haven't been all that excited about showing a dog. I showed his mom. I finished her at the national. It was cool, but it didn't like fill me with huge anticipation and joy. It was like, yeah. okay, that's great. Whatever. And I see this young dog, her son, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, he's really it, right? And so you start building that, that excitement and that connection and that all of the things that you're going to do together and you create this journey in your mind. And I really do love what you just said, that people are always going to be kind if you give them the opportunity. And I find in my world that may or may not always be the case. But I think it is more liable to be the case if we offer the opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, there's always going to be that broken wheel and, <laughs> and you pick up and you move on. I, <laughs> I think the thing in those cases to remember, too, is it's not you. It's them. You know, yes. it's when things go awry. 
I know that shy little kid in me always wanted to please, always wanted to have everybody be happy, was terrified. And the older you get, you realize, you know, some people also, you can't move them and you just have to walk past it. But you don't have to take that energy on, you know. You're there doing your thing, showing that beloved dog, sharing it with most of the audience who's going to feel insanely passionate. And if we focus on that, you know, there's a lot of joy and goodness to be at hand to lean on. I think that that is the biggest thing. And I talk about this all the time on the podcast. We build community. We have a group of people. We build community. I think that's really important. You have a community of authors. You have your editors. You have community around you. And before before I forget, I do have to tell this other one other story that I think is just the coolest thing that I've ever known about any human being I've ever met. You met your husband. (laughs) So listeners, I need you to hear this because this is the coolest story ever. And all y'all that are out there sad and mad and whatever, I need you to hear Lita's story because if there's one coolest way to meet your life partner, this is it. (laughs) Don't (laughs) it is a pretty cool way to fall in love I have to say we were pretty lucky so my husband Dave he was my lab partner when I was a geologist I had a lab partner they called geology student lab rats because we just spent all the time in lab and my lab partner's roommate was named Dave but I didn't know his name was Dave he just showed up in lab one day and I think it must have been before finals because it was about three in the morning and we were tired and punchy taking a break. And I said, oh, I want to ride my bike across the country someday. And this kind of cool looking dude in the back who had been quiet up until then said, I want to do that too. And I said, I'm serious. I really want to do this. And he said, well, let's do it. And I said, you want to make a pack? And he said, let's do it. And I said, okay, well, my name's Lita and his name was Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and we, Lita, let's ride across the country on bicycle. <laughs> let's ride across the country. My name is Lita. <laughs> So we agreed and that I think it was like four weeks or so before school ended. And then we had to separate because I was working on a paleontology dig and he had to go to New York, which was his home. We were in Oregon and he went home to New York to earn the money and I was working on a dig. So no mail, no phones, nothing. I was out in the middle of nowhere in the Badlands wondering if this guy was going to show up. And we had a destination rendezvous and a date. And the night before I got to the rendezvous place and I had his number, we called to confirm what his flight number would be and when I would pick him up. And he called and we talked very briefly and I hung up the phone and thought, hmm, apparently he hung up the phone and thought the same thing because I'd like to say we were engaged by New York, but kind of by the time we hit the Idaho border, we knew we were. (laughs) So we rode across country 3,300 miles in 30 days. And yep, we've been together ever since. We've had all the same speed, so. (laughs) I love it. I mean, you told me that story a billion years ago. I think the last time I saw you in person was when you told me that story. So it's been a minute. But you guys, I bring you people every now and then or sort of outside our world to give us some perspective. And I think Lita brings us some amazing perspective. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it was really fun. I remember when we got home from that trip, everybody was like, what? And we're like, trust me, we just rode 3,300 miles a day. It's okay. (laughs) We had like $5 a day for food and we were starving together, pedaling through hail, pedaling through heat, pedaling through everything. We knew we were good. (laughs) I'm pretty sure if you can get through that together, you've definitely set yourself up for the future. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my God. All right, you guys. So here's my suggestion. Everybody, if you have kids in your life, 100% worth it. Absolutely love it. Lita, thank you so incredibly much. I really, really appreciate your time. Oh, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for having me. And oh my gosh, now I've got to get on a plane and get out to Oregon to see you. <laughs> yeah, or go listen to Pure Dog Talk because <laughs> the same Absolutely. Thing. It's basically the same thing. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Lita. All right. Thank you. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.